I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Spider Knight? Alas, friend Spider-Man, by what sorcery doth small ceiling torch shine forth? It's called a light bulb. Welcome to Prattleworld. I'm your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to another edition of Spider Knights of the Roundtable, where me and my guests will discuss a much-loved subject in-depth in a roundtable format. And joining me today are my co-stars from Death by Pies, Westernized. Hannah Hobley and Nathan Smith, and we are going to go try digging for some gold while looking at the contemporary Western Meek's Cutoff. Hello, guys. Welcome back. Hi, Dan. Hello, world. <laughs> Thanks for having me back again. Yes. And you know what? This is my first three-way podcast that I've ever had. So th- we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be gentle with you, Dan. Don't worry. <laughs> You're pulling. You guys are pulling double duty. I do thank you for coming back on. And you guys, you guys know your your westerns. You know your stuff because we all did our did our research for Nathan's play, um, which looked at kind of examined Trump's America through the through the lens of a western. And it was a, a very much a spoofy kind of comedy take. Very very blazing saddles, airplane type play, uh, which was a lot of fun and got a lot of a lot of good press. Uh, and we did it in a car park in the middle of Manchester, very, very, and it felt like the Old West. And there was a lot of kind of hard goings in this film that kind of remind me of, of putting up our little uh, our little canopy tent. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, you recall the, the, the tough times we had uh, down in that windy car park in Manchester. Oh, it was, it, it was like being on the plains, wasn't it? Um, setting up that big marquee and then taking it down in a, in a, in a storm <laughs> of wind. Tragically, we had to cancel the final show because it was the, the elements just destroyed you know, our chances of surviving in the, in the Northwest, if you will. <laughs> anyway, um, let's, let's move on and let's talk about this contemporary Western. So I wanted to look, I've been looking at all the different kind of subgenres that the Western kind of genre has. So we've looked at uh, revisionist Westerns, I've, I've looked at a comic book Western, I've looked at spaghetti Westerns. So I wanted to do something more kind of modern with modern ideas, modern themes, um, not a contemporary setting, still the classic West, but with kind of ideas. And so I kind of I thought, you know, this I'd heard a lot of great reviews about this film. I'd heard a lot of, you know, it's a certified fresh on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So so I thought, yeah, this might be might be the one. Um, so we went for Meeks Cut Off by uh, directed by Kelly Reichhart. I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna say it. Um, starring Michelle Williams, Bruce Greenwood and Paul Dano. It's basically about a group of travelers who um, are traveling through the Wild West and want to get to where they're going. Um, and they're being led by a man called Stephen Meek, who may or may not know exactly where they're going. And they may have be a little off course by three or four weeks, I believe. So they're running out of supplies, running out of food. Everything's kind of going to pot. Um, so I think that's kind of, that's the be- kind of best kind of sum up of the plot I can give, I think. What did you guys think of the film? Um, well, it was 
very well shot. It was a visual, like, visual treat, wasn't it? Like, and it- what I liked about that was that it was a really, um, it was kind of a tipping the hat to those early sort of Sergio Leone films like um, Once Upon a Time in the West and like um, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, that you've kind of got these long shots. Because if you watch any of those uh, Sergio Leone films, it takes so long to get started. I think it's the the start of um, Once Upon a Time in the West where the, the first shot is about 15 minutes before anything it's just like um it's the shot of a little barn and there's a little spinny thing going round and round and round and oh, the uh, tumbleweed <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so i i, I kind of I, I appreciated that because i i like that sort of slow burner but um after doing some research on the director she's very minimalistic um, and you can tell by the film um, that it's kind of got that minimalistic feel to it. Yeah. Um, I love weird camera shots. Like I'm a big David Lynch fan, so I like it when there is a camera far away in a weird position and you can only see the back of their head. At the same time, the attention to detail with, with some of the shots was really nice. Like, you know, when she, when she was washing the, the pot, and she was by the stream, like knelt down on a rock, yeah. scrubbing at this. And then you'd cut to another task. But these were tasks that they had to do just to kind of keep keep afloat, really. I like the sort of the themes of like um, in, in Western eyes, we had this whole thing about manifest destiny. Um, it, the, the belief that um, the that Americans um, should go for west and take it because it is their right as americans to take the land and i liked that kind of idea of this you know group of people these families going west you know to find new lives is it oregon they're going they're heading towards the pacific northwest i believe so i'm not sure if they ever specify um mm. but i think that m- maybe the that's trail at the start, doesn't it it says like the oregon trail yeah so may- maybe there are maybe they are on the way to oregon I, I i must have missed that um when watching it but i thought that the idea was that they were they didn't really say that it was kind of like mm. it didn't really matter where they were going it was more the journey itself than the destination the, the journey was hard going it was difficult um you know and i think it almost didn't matter to some degree what where exactly they were heading that was just me but yeah it may, may well be may well be oregon but yeah um I, I think hannah's right i think it does it does look really nice it's very well presented um the the locales are very interesting are very different um all very unique all these different types of kind of grassy then you've got the kind of rocky terrain and and all that other stuff it, it's shot in a slightly narrow kind of aspect ratio so it, it's not it's not the usual kind of classic widescreen that we're used to. Um, it's shot in the way that those kind of classic westerns would have been shot in, within that frame. So it almost makes like a little a little kind of cube on the in the middle of the screen while while it's being presented. So it kind of it kind of harkens back and there's tips of the hat to that kind of western western genre uh, and those classic movies. And then it kind of carries on. But yeah, I did I did enjoy I did enjoy the the kind of the cinematography but i think the director was much more interested in the the what was happening to the characters and what was happening to to them personally and with their kind of like what's happening to them and their emotional journey rather than the landscape as much but the shots of the landscape are still very nice 
she she kept it as true to life as possible so some of the scenes it was so dark you were you were squinting to to really see what was happening like i could hear and there was a faint shot of um i'm assuming they were grinding up um the the wheat to make flour mm. um at some point but it didn't then cut to her making bread it was actually the next night i think when she it showed her then making the bread out of the flour yes. she'd made the night before. Yeah, yeah. So it was taking kind of, it, she was keeping it, you know, shot wise. If it was pitch black and they were having a conversation, we couldn't see the conversation. We, we could just hear it. But then that's that's just how it was for them. It's almost just seeing the what it was like through their eyes at the time. It reminded me of a, um, a character development piece, mostly, of this idea of them going and then trusting this Native American, which they then capture um, to take them towards water. And you're never quite sure what this Native American's motives are. And you see some of the wives and husbands changing their opinions on him, um, which I I assume is a comment of people at that time um, with major genocide of the Native American people. Yeah, I, th- I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of comment on like Stephen Meek is this like brash, overconfident, foolhardy mansplainer, if you will. He basically is like <laughs> he basically says, "I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing." Don't you question me, little lady? And and that's that's him. And that's the kind of I th- I feel he becomes the villain of the piece. But I do feel it's a bit convenient that he is also that and kind of a racist as well. That he mm. becomes that is like he's the he's the point of reference for these two very modern, well, not modern evils, but evils that we look at now as evil. Um, but back in the day, we wouldn't have seen that. And his kind of arrogance and bravado is actually leading them into danger. And the, the whole the whole group is like, I don't know about this guy. We're not sure. You know, is he just a bit stupid, or does he believe is he leading us somewhere to kill us? Uh, but then is the Native American leading us leading us to be killed by his tribe or something like that? But I can see what they were trying to do. But I thought for me, what what I've been talking about this whole month with everybody else is this moral ambiguity uh, within the West, and everybody has it. Everyone is just trying to survive, and they will do what they have to do, and they will justify their actions to survive. And and I feel like just making him the villain of the piece was a little too easy, a little too convenient for, my, for me. But I don't know what you guys think about that. That's the best thing about sort of like the West. Like if you watch something like Deadwood, for example, it's it's all about these these characters who at first may appear to be the bad guy or appear to be the good guy, and they switch it so much. I mean, uh, Ian McShane's Al Swerigen, like on the first episode, you're like, that's the bad guy in this show. I know where I stand with him. And then throughout the series, it kind of switches and goes back. And it's a very well-written, again, a character piece. And it's the development of these people who you think are going to be good. I mean, the lead guy, um, Tim Oliphant in it, Hmm. um, sort of switches constantly. You think he's a good guy. And then his temper um, is this thing which constantly keeps getting him into trouble. And I think what I feel Meek's cutoff missed is is that lovely western plot that that's why we watch westerns is because you've got that great sort of it's a simple plot and it's thrilling and 
it's old school sort of rivalry and hatred and good versus evil. And I feel as though if Meek's Cut-Off was a series, it could have explored it a, a longer, more detailed period. To tell you what movie it reminds me of, and this is like completely different genre, but have you seen Jarhead? Yes, yes. Jake Gyllenhaal, which is a movie about waiting for something, waiting for action, and it never quite comes because they don't fire one single bullet in it. And it has that kind of feel to it that you, you're waiting for it and it never actually comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I think, I think Jarhead does that idea because I don't think the director was necessarily going for that in this film. I feel Jarhead, it's very obvious. It's a very kind of obvious allegory. But in this, in this, I felt like I just needed just a little bit more, you know, an insight, the inciting incident when they kind of find the Native American, which is like, oh, okay, what's going to happen now? Or where's the tension? What's this going to lead to? That happens like two thirds into the film. And then, and then as it, as it comes to its conclusion, it's still, it's still, I was still waiting for things to happen. It didn't really conclude, did it? The, you, it kind of, it was leading you somewhere and you were waiting for that something to happen, but it, it didn't go anywhere. You just wanted Paul Dano to walk around um, like the side of a mountain and then 15 arrows go through that. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, that <laughs> now that would have been interesting. <laughs> but we kind of, and another thing I noticed about the film was that like, we don't really know what the characters, like who the characters are. Like we never get like their hopes and dreams, aspirations, or where they've come from, what they've experienced. It's just the journey. There wasn't much talking in it, really. It was more just the visual, wasn't it? But yeah, there was no backstory. There was no real story of where they were wanting to... What they were escaping from. Yeah. What they were looking to find. Um, but I guess that that whole sort of idea of the planes are so empty and I guess it, it could be, I'm getting quite theatery here, um, you know, the, the whole metaphor of waiting... Um, it's got that whole waiting for Godot there. Somebody, I could actually feel somebody listening to this rolling their eyes when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Probably just me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the first time waiting for Godot has been brought up in one of your podcasts? Well, I'm, I'm on 75 episodes now, so but I've had a lot of theatrical types on. So, um, so probably someone might have mentioned it at least once. Probably Andy. Probably Andy. <laughs> probably in a negative way um <laughs> so like a lot of people like a lot of the reviews and things i've read have kind of said this is like a staple of a kind of modern feminist western how do, how do we feel about that do we feel it kind of encapsulates that and that and that struggle and and how it was back then and how times have changed uh, and were the were the characters did the characters fit that archetype of what we we feel like modern feminine feminism is within the Western context? Well, Emily and the played by the lovely Michelle Williams was kind of the she she kept it all together, didn't she? She you know she offered out just a bit of help to to the Indian because she needed you know to almost like gain gain a chip and then she you know at the end where she takes control of the situation and she she holds the gun you got that little uh, mexican standoff the going little st- there, yeah you? that the standoff 
Um, I feel like she really kind of had the balls throughout. It, it, it was subtle sort of power taking without yeah. any kind of like, you know, mass gunfire or anything. She she was a clever character. And I think, that, you know, the, the strongest mind and they'd, they'd have been buggered without her there, to be honest. Yeah. Because really just by her offering that that gesture of her fixing his boot made him feel more at ease. So then you thought, well, maybe he'll do the right thing by them. And you're never quite sure if the Native American is doing right by them. Yeah, um, so I guess there's that whole ambiguous sense of, sense of it. Did I want Michelle Williams to start a gunfight with with um, Bruce Greenwood? Definitely. <laughs> um, I kind of felt that that was kind of needed. But she verbally stood up she to him, verbally didn't she? Because he was not standing for his, his crap. I guess the sort of the modern idea is that you can't take a piece and think, well, it has to have some woman standing up for themselves, killing a load of men mm. to, to be a, a piece of feminist, modern feminist Western. Mm. Um, obviously, because of the context of everything, um, it's very rare that you'd probably get a woman in a position of power at the start of a, a, a movie. The only kind of um, connection or parallel I can run is, in again, I seem to be just talking more about Deadwood, but like in Deadwood, you've got uh, Calamity Jane in there, She's wonderful, like um, such a kind of complex, interesting character. Um, until I read about it after that, it's only then when I realised that people were referring to it as um, a piece of modern feminist Western. Okay. What do you think? Um, I, I, I think... I, th- I think I'm like you, Nathan. I kind of... Personally, I kind of wanted Meek to get shot. Um, I, I totally get that it's more, it was a more of a subtle thing and it's, it's more of that kind of like quiet power. It's like, I, I know what I am very confident. I know I'm very intelligent. I know what I can do. I know what is required, but this, this particular situation doesn't necessarily need a forceful hand. It needs like a subtle kind of gesturing or maneuvering to, to resolve it. And I think that's what she did up until the point where the guns were drawn, that was her, like, at her limit. She goes, right, this is it now. This is my limit. This is, don't push me any further. You'll see what I'm capable of. But I do, yeah, I appreciate it. But I think I, I, I think it was my expectations, what I'd heard about this film, I think. I think I expected a slightly different, um, I think it was a more like kind of yeehaw type kind of um, feminist Westerners I was expecting. But like you said, it's a very minimalist film. And I think the the messages have to be within that context have to be a lot more subtle and and told in a very different way. Um, but yeah, I think it is. I think it is successful in in that in that regard. But I felt the, I the, the very subtle power shifts, isn't there throughout throughout? Because it kind of starts with the the men saying, "This is this is the way we're going. This is the route we're going." And then by the end of it, it's kind of becomes a bit more of a democracy. I um I agree I agree I think because a lot of the like I think one of my issues with the film as well is there is a lot of this tension throughout the film there's a lot of you know are we going to die are we going to run out of water are we going to run out of food oh no the carriage has turned over you know oh my little boys run off there's all this kind of tension between Meek and everybody and Meek comments on it and they have that conversation about uh, women women being agents of chaos and men being agents of destruction 
um, and things like that. But the the tension never really there's no I don't think there's ever really a breaking point to any of this tension. It never really feels like it's ever like ah now it explodes now all the tension boils over. Uh, there's the there's the standoff, but again I feel like that's coming a bit too late in the film. You just so. want a bit more, don't you? You're waiting for some kind of drama. Or like when the little boy did run off, you kind of want, you know, a, an arrow to come shooting over the mountain and for, for somebody to be over there. You're kind of waiting for that Western fight. Yeah. Is it in Buster Scruggs? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs oh, yeah. where uh, they just see uh, the Native Americans gathering on the hill. I was just waiting <laughs> for that sh- shot and then them all running towards them. Yeah. But like, it, it's interesting because you, you sent um, a screenshot of the the Rotten Tomatoes score and the IMDb score, like the viewers score. And one was like 86% and the viewers was like 53%. So it's interesting how the casual viewer, as opposed to the critic, took it in a completely different way. Uh, yeah, I, f- I found it fascinating. I I'd, um, I'd picked a few films for us to to look at, potentially look at, and and this was one of the ones that kept cropping up on kind of modern, contemporary westerns, um, like in our top 10 list. And then all the reviews are very good. I didn't, Unfortunately, I didn't look at the kind of IMDb score to compare it at the time, but as I was watching it, I was like, okay, maybe I'll just, I'll just have a nosy at that. I think I think I think it's the reverence for those old those old Western films and the classic genre that I think a lot of these a lot of the kind of the reviews are taken on board and the reviewers are taken on board with and they're kind of like oh look at it it looks nice and remember remember those good old westerns we used to watch remember those good old times it reminds me of that but it's not quite that it's obviously it offers up this new flavor and this new take but I'm not sure if those two those two worlds gel as as well as we would want them to within this film. Yeah, you you wanted the graphic violence, didn't you? A little, yeah. I think I think yeah. I think there are there are certain expectations, like Hannah said, like you've said, there are certain expectations we have from a Western. And I feel like I was a little bit shortchanged by this film in regards to those tropes. Like a lot of films, are, a lot of these Western films are very much game changers and, and tell a different story and go in a different way and, and, are, and are controversial because of that. But I feel like this one's been heralded, like the review, reviewers have heralded it, but everybody else seems to not be so keen on the vast kind of discrepancy between those two kind of worlds. Mm. Um, which which is something I felt while watching the film. One of the last modern uh, westerns I watched um, was uh, Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen that with Kurt Ooh, Russell? Yeah. Most violent western <laughs> film I think I've ever seen. If anybody's not watched it, please put it on. It's supremely violent. Um, and the Native Americans are like almost cannibals. I mean, it doesn't yeah. paint them way at all but like um it's man's it, gotta it, eat <laughs> yeah. oh it's brilliant it's absolutely fantastic. They're, they're almost like but they're almost depicting in that film like they're demons like there's something yeah. other not even human um mm. and, and, and even and i think there's a bit in that film where they're like they're not even you know all the other tribes of of Discommunicated, the un- uncommunicado, because they're so violent and evil. But yeah, I, I love that. Kurt Russell and uh, who else was it? Patrick Wilson, I think, was in it. Yeah, um, has the most violent opening shot I have ever seen in my life. Um, 
it, it, it sets the tone. I, um, I, I won't describe how it opens, but it is the most horrific thing I've ever seen open a movie. Yes, it is all of those things. Uh, and and where this film doesn't deliver on, on the stuff that we want, uh, Bone Homo- Tomahawk definitely does <laughs> on all the violence, on all the action, uh, on all the moral ambiguity. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a unique film. I kind of wish I'd watch that now. <laughs> Yeah, we'll watch, we'll watch that uh, this weekend, Hannah. You'll, you'll you'll enjoy that. But there was there was a really great moment in the film where I genuinely was on the edge of my seat, mm. and it built up all of this like, what's going to happen? And it was when they had to um, kind of slowly edge the wagons down the down this the steep hill with the rope. Now, for something so simple. Nathan said, actually, I always wondered how they how they managed to do that. So it was insightful. But the t- the same time, like it was like the, the suspense that that scene built. And, you know, they got two down and it was the third one. And when it went wrong, I was genuinely like, oh, my God, it was um, heartbroken for them. Like, What are they going to yeah. do? There's going to be people listening to this podcast and hearing oh. talking about the the most exciting bit in it is when <laughs> it's down a hill and somebody's just thinking, "Nope, I'll give that a miss." Sure, like credit where credit's due. The fact that that film can can make that moment so you know so yeah. spectacular. Yeah. The-, <laughs> the highlight, the absolute highlight, and again, <laughs> this is coming like two thirds through the film. Like it's almost over. And we get in this like high point of of tension, and when really it probably should be winding its way to the end. We've just you know, and it, and Anna's right. It was quite exi- like it grabbed me as well when it started slipping. They're all like, oh, you know. I I thought for a second that the carriage was going to roll into the little boy. I thought he was down there, and the <laughs> carriage was going to roll into the little boy. And I was like, yes, finally something's happening. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't, <laughs> I don't condone child murder, um, but at least something interesting would have happened. Just give me one death, just one, just one. But yeah, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. The the film on a, on the whole, um, I did really try. I, I went in, you know, went in with fresh eyes and I just tried to absorb it and take it in. And it just kind of, like we've said, it kind of just doesn't deliver on the things you wanted to deliver on. And I kind of felt like I was on that journey for a bit. I felt like I was doing, you know, I was just like, okay, yeah. here we go. <laughs> just long, like, like even, even the, like the, the positive reviewers will, will use terms like slow, long, uh, being patient with this film and i'm like and like that's a good review this is a positive review and you're using all these words i'm yeah. like you know slow burn and things like that and i i don't mind a good you know slow burn you know i'm i'm a big fan of uh, like halloween's a really slow burn um but i love that movie but this just yeah. is just i just felt like you see all these rudimentary tasks being done these these banal kind of like washing the pots washing the clothes and I just, I was just like, it's probably been more interesting if I actually did one of those things. <laughs> you know that a film is somewhat lacking when, for the first hour of it, the thing that you're really thinking about is, I bet they really smell in those clothes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Keep that dress so pink. <laughs> and I, I was looking at the stitching on the dresses as well, and thought, oh, I wonder how they did that. Gosh, I've. Oh. 
I, I, I was so I, I read one I went from a review about the bonnets and they were talking about oh yeah normally you know these old western films the bonnets would never cover the face but in this one oh they are definitely covering up the the faces and causing shadow and you, you can't see what they're feeling I'm like like that's not that interesting <laughs> I'd rather see their face and their expression and what's going on like personally but I am very interested in in seeing some more of her films though yeah um and seeing how there was one which we were going to watch the other night which i didn't realize was her about jesse eisenberg being a um environmentalist who's going to commit some sort of like environmental crime is that that, um night moves is that the one i think yeah night moves yeah i I saw i saw that one that one i'm more familiar with than this um but like I've, i've still not seen it but i've i've heard of it at least but, uh, yeah, so I, I will actually give some of her words, Nathan. Uh, I will give some of her other movies a chance um, it, because every, every director has those kind of weird slow burners. I don't take that as a blimp on her yeah. career. I mean, I mean, we all, I think we all like to try something different, don't we? Like even directors like to go outside their comfort zones, which is good. And, you know, you grow and become a better artist for that. But then sometimes it doesn't always, always work out that way. And I, I feel like maybe the Western genre is probably not for, uh, for Kelly Reichardt in regards to filmmaking. Yeah. True that. True. Um, I just, I just, I should we should we talk about the ending of the film? Because I I don't think we can really talk about spoiler on them. Spoiler spoilers to this this film that we didn't much enjoy. Here's <laughs> the, the end. So what ending? <laughs> and that's that's the thing we we're we're struggling through this this thing where we're watching them do all these kind of chores and watching them do all these things and they're traveling they're getting sunburned they're running out water. There's no real kind of exciting, really exciting moments apart from maybe the the standoff and the and the wagon falling down the the hill. Uh, we get to the end, so the Native American is still leading the way. Everyone is. I mean, that one guy. Did that one guy die of thirst? Well, he was, you know, on death's door, wasn't he? he fainted, yeah. and then he was then put inside the wagon, and that was right at the end. So he's like, oh, is he going to make it? But then that was a Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it, it's like American sang a song for him, and then he, you know, like. But I think at that point as well, you could feel the um, the travelers warm towards the Native American people. Yeah. They could see that he's trying to give a prayer or something along those lines. Yeah, they could they could tell that there was there was something going going on. But then then we 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 have all this. We've had all this tension throughout. We've we've got there, we've, and and we're right at the end of the film. And I, 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 I'm genuinely shocked at the way this film ended. After all that, they go, okay, this is this is the turning point. They go, right, we can either turn back now, or or we have to go on. Like this is it, and they're like, there's no way we can turn back now. There's, we have no idea. We don't know where we'll end up if we turn back. We can only move forward. And they all decide we'll move forward, but but what if he's leading us to danger? What if he's not leading us to water? And they go, and and they he turn to Stephen Meek throughout this whole thing. They've like treated him like garbage, and they go. What do you think? And he's like, "Well, it's already written. It's already so. It's it's already gonna. It's this all already been. You know, this is your story now. I've got nothing to do with it. So do whatever you want." <laughs> and then they look back at the Native American, and he just walks into the distance. And, and we film. see him walk for about a minute, don't we? Yeah. And I went. Just and I went. Okay. 
<laughs> I went I went to myself. I went, I went, they're gonna end it here, aren't they? They're gonna end it here. And then they did, and I went, Yeah, I can't believe yeah, you've done yeah. that. I can't believe it ended this film like this after after almost, you know, it's hour and hour and forty minutes of practically not much at all. As beautiful as it looked, there wasn't really much that happened. There was not much character development. It's not been that many kind of big incidents or set pieces. And then they just go, oh, well, well, it, end, it ends. This is it. The road to nowhere. He was a real person, wasn't he, Stephen Meek? He yes. was actually a real um, sort of uh, uh, tracker um, uh, person. Uh, so maybe some of that came in there. They couldn't really have him have a gunfight with... Yeah, possibly, yeah. Or if, um, maybe they were just being true to his name. But then he wasn't like a nice guy, so I don't see why I have to like <laughs> don't see why you have to honor him in that way. I think you know. Yeah. I just I just felt like if they were gonna if they're gonna like fair enough, it's based on history. There's you know, but you can you can still tell a fictional story within a historic framing. You know, look at look at Titanic, for example. You know, you know, mm. Jack Jack and Rose didn't exist, but the whole Titanic yeah. went down still tells a good story like it or not it's still you know it's a complete tale and you can kind of believe it within the historical framework not one bear attack not one snake bite <laughs> you know like fair enough there could have been a, there didn't need to be a, a massive gunfight but no. i thought nature or something was going to attack them yeah like something even a rock slide or something and there was there was what? that just anything anything let, literally let everything happen <laughs> The hair, the women's hair, all looked like washed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know how many days they've been in that desert for, but the hair looked washed, and you know, not not greasy, not sweaty after being in those bonnets. Really, really kind of well groomed. Really, oh yeah. Well, I just it's, it doesn't really. I just I, don't, I just don't. didn't add up. Just I didn't nothing, believe it. Nothing added up. Like I just, I, like we said, we just want anything to happen. Just anything at all would have been good. <laughs> but just like even the I bit, it, Michelle Williams looking rough. Like will that ever? <laughs> that would have given me something. <laughs> I just want to see. Bad skin and, and you know, really Filthy. greasy hair. Filthy, no. greasy, spotty, acne, all of that. Just get all of that. Yeah. I, I've got there's nothing. I've got nothing really against the actors in it because I think they did the best with what they had. I, I remember you guys commented on the sound and struggling to hear a lot of the a lot of the dialogue. Um, it almost reminded me of those kind of like mumblecore movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, when it's uh, just like, uh, what's his face? Um, oh, his name's gone out of my head now. <laughs> that is embarrassing. Uh, Mickey Rourke, like yeah. uh, Bumblefish and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and there's kind of the there's an indie kind of there's an indie kind of I don't know film genre which is like just the kind of very realistic kind of mumbling that happens, uh, and and it kind of reminded me about that. But I feel like everything in the film, every sound effect, everything else that was happening was a hundred percent louder than the actors themselves. <laughs> like, like even the crickets at one point in the film the crickets are louder than the dialogue and I'm, I'm i'm thinking why why do we need to hear this crickets the only thing i can think of is that she wanted the the director kelly reichardt wanted us to feel like the wild west 
was relentless and it was encroaching on their lives and it was slowly killing them. And that's why of the, the power of the West had over them, the Wild West. That's the only thing I can think of. But for me, I just couldn't hear anything. So it started to frustrate me. We've all, we've all worked in the theatre. We all know when an audience can't hear you, they start to turn off, they start to get annoyed, and then they leave and they'll give you a bad review. That's, that's what happens. So, I, you know, same in films for me. If I can't hear anything, you know, not that the dialogue was massively important, I don't think, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I couldn't hear it, so, <laughs> so I, I wonder. Um, would you rather watch um, Will Smith's Wild Wild West or Meek's Cut-Off? What, what, a, what a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you should ask this after every every film. This is this is my new question. I'll go this or Wild Wild West or this a Meeks cut off. Would I give them Meeks cut off as an option or would I give them Wild West as an option? Not after the third this podcast. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to say Meeks cut off because it's not very long. Okay, we'll give it give it that. It, it, it is not very long, um, but it did feel long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I you know it's, what I probably. Afternoon, if you want to take a nap, kind of film. Yeah. <laughs> Waking back up. Oh no, they're still, they're still on the plane. <laughs> Not missed anything. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a bit in the film where um where Stephen Meeks talking about the Native Americans because he obviously hates them all, wants to kill them all. Uh, very racist guy, and he's like, oh, I know what they do to people. They cut people's eyelids off stick them in the ground, dig a hole for them, let that leave their head exposed, and force them to stare at the sun and. I kind of felt like I was enduring that a little bit <laughs> towards the end of the film. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is again a bit much. I'm probably being a bit too harsh, but it was it was just I was just very disappointed from what I'd heard and come back from that. Yeah. I just very, Not very disappointing. For people that are fans of Westerns. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head, Hannah. It's just not what you come to expect but it doesn't even it doesn't even flip the genre in a good way or or help you re-examine the genre it just kind of goes there's this and i'm trying to glue it together to this and the glue doesn't hold sadly that that's the film for me i don't know i don't know if you guys have any 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 more comments on the acting or the filmmaking i I think if you're in um if you're studying to become a filmmaker and you're looking at sort of examples of films with really interesting shots yep. and um, different camera angles, which are a little bit maybe experimental yeah, yeah. Um, for popular cinema. I think it's a really good film to watch. Yeah. I think um, visual, like, like Hannah said, it is visually very strong. I think the cinematography is good um, and it's nice to, it's nice to watch. But I kind of, I think I would kind of just have it as like a screensaver, more so than because it's not. It's we, we've talked about this. It's minimal. It's not much plot. There's not much going on. There's not much inciting incidents, and then it kind of just fades away. I think I'll more than likely forget this quite soon. Um, I think as, as well, if film, anybody does decide to watch it as their Sunday afternoon nap time film, close your eyes and Stephen Meek sounds like Duffman. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> he does a little bit i like i like um i like the actor bruce greenwood as well i think he's a he's a great um he played a great 
Yeah, he has got a good voice. He played he played Batman, unsurprisingly, in like a one of the animated movies they do, and and Young Justice, and he's very good. He's very very good as a as a. Every time I see him in something, he's always like head of the department or or in charge of um, sort of or like a mentor or something. He's in um, Star Trek, isn't he? That's right. The the Kelvin verse uh, Star Trek. He's Captain Pike, I think he is. Um, mm-hmm. Who's in the continuity of the original, you know, uh, Enterprise captain. But yeah, he's. I think he's good. I think Michelle Williams is very good in this as well. I think she does. She has a very commanding presence. She holds the screen, and and you're the. She's the only character I feel that has the development. I think. Everybody yeah. else is kind of Paul Dano's just the cowardly young guy, and his wife's yeah. the you know panic stricken, you know just panicked about everything. The husband to Michelle Williams is pretty ineffectual, you know. Even even when the standoff is happening, he's like, "Look at your wife there," and he's like, "Yep, yeah, that's my wife." Just really doesn't help. Doesn't come. You go, girl. Yeah, he's just like, just like, yeah, that's. But he's he's not even like he's not even cheering her on. Really, he's just going, "That's my wife." Got this. Yeah. <laughs> She, she's holding a gun, but who cares? And and, and again, like they just and the, even at that point, like that height attention when all the guns are pointed, everyone's just like, I'm just gonna awkwardly look away, just awkwardly look at the ground while all this is going on. Um, not gonna involve get involved or saying anything, even though our lives are literally on the line. We're just gonna we're just gonna just not do anything. Just non non committal, non actioned, nothing. <laughs> we're just gonna stand here. And then, um, and again, film ends shortly after that. <laughs> you know, in that Simpson episode where um, Homer goes to see Mel Gibson's um, adaptation of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, yeah. <laughs> kind of like bored, and but everybody else finds it brilliant, and Homer's really upset that there's no graphic violence in it, and then they redo it, and it ends with like an absolute <laughs> killing spree. I feel a little bit like Homer Simpson. <laughs> yes, I, I. You know what? That is that is a perfect analogy for this film. I just want to go in and like shake it up, edit it, do something. It it reminds me. You you often say like you know somebody throw a pie. I think I'm <laughs> somebody fire a gun or shoot an arrow or you know in, encounter a dangerous animal. Please something anything. But yeah, that is uh, that's Meek's cut off. Um, I, I don't. There's. I've looked on IMDb uh, for any kind of interesting facts or anything, but there is. There's nothing. <laughs> like it's a minimalist western with minimalist fun, like fun and interesting facts. <laughs> I, I kind of wish we had more to say about this, but also I kind of wish we'd probably watch something else <laughs> next time let's do it again and let's go for something really action-packed oh yes oh yes I, yeah I, I, you know what i'll even let you guys choose because i don't oh. have, i don't want to i don't want <laughs> i don't want that responsibility to fall on my head again <laughs> right leave it with us i definitely will yeah i think i think we're all done guys yeah you anything else you want to say before we go bone tomahawk is absolutely brilliant um if anybody's um looking for a good western a modern western watch that although it is incredibly violent and of course deadwood because that's the one of the best television series hannah do you do you have any uh, western recommendations well if you want to go onto spotify there's a great album that you can listen to is it it's westernized Westernized. the official soundtrack i'm on that soundtrack you yes, you, are. yes, you are, Dan. 
I am. If you need any context, I'm happy. If you need any context for that particular song, I'm happy to provide it at any point. Uh, yes, but where can where can everyone find you guys on social media? That's what's most important. Uh, Death by Pi and and your personal accounts, if you want, whichever ones you want to give out. Uh, well, I'm you find me at Hannah Hobley. That's H A W N A H H O B L E Y. That's for Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under at Nath Rich Smith. I won't spell that out because I'll get it wrong. Um, <laughs> and you can find um, our theatre company, Death by Pie, on at Death by Pie Co. And that's okay. Instagram and Twitter. Um, I, I just remembered, Hannah, as well. Um, obviously, you're a big star of Benidorm. Um, back in the day, when you were on, when you're on that, and I, I watched the first three episodes the other week. Really? I did I? Did uh, me and me and me and our friend, our mutual friend Natalie. We we just I said, oh, I'd, I'd never seen it, and she was like, right, what's going on? So we watched the first three episodes. And, maybe, uh, maybe we can talk about that sometime, Dan. You've got a great review in that first episode. <laughs> like you, uh, you've got the best part in that because you. you finishes with that cliffhanger i've got it? the east enders moment you I? do oh yeah very <laughs> and and i was like and, I, and like you're so young in it as well you're almost almost unrecognizable i was like i was like is that is that hannah is that is that hey hannah? look well maybe we should get together and do a benedorm podcast at Ooh, some point could do could do I'm, I'm up for that but i you know the second i recognized you it's when you started singing like, <laughs> i was like there she is there she is she's come out she's come out to play but it was it was fantastic. I really I really enjoyed it actually. Um, I'm very... And I was wasn't sure if it'd be my cup of tea, but I did I did actually get quite into it, and that's why we watched three episodes until Andy walked in and said, "Right, turn that off." <laughs> <laughs> he did actually message us saying, "Like they put Benidorm on." <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> I, that was Natalie's choice. I was just I was just there for the ride. So <laughs> fantastic. Well, um, you can find Spider Down at the Secret Balls. You can find us on Facebook. So that's at Secret Balls on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, it's at Dan underscore Balls. Instagram, it's Spider Down Secret Balls, all one word. And the podcast available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts and YouTube, and many, many more. And if you'd like to donate towards the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash spider down and the secret balls. And don't forget to use the hashtag prepare for prattle when you interact with us. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you for, for coming with me on this long journey, this long, troublesome journey of washing pots and cleaning clothes, and the exciting, exciting times we've had. <laughs> I just remembered as well, they find a bit of gold, don't they? <laughs> and then they move on from it and i was like oh great they're gonna go gold hunting but no no just throw that out throw that away it's a bit of gold it's real oh great uh no let's just carry on the boring journey we're making and our boring journey has come to an end so goodbye everybody thank you very much hannah and nathan and uh hopefully we'll see you soon bye bye, bye.